Hello and welcome to my first five years podcast. I'm Alastair Bryce Clegg. And I'm Jenny Johnson. And we're early years experts and founders of My First Five Years, an activities and child development app for parents. And in this podcast, what we want to do is help you to find the joy in parenting and ditch some of that guilt and worry that we all feel. Absolutely. We want to help you get rid of that anxiety and have more fun along the way. Last time, we talked to expert children's dietitian Lucy Upton about nutrition and also all those food challenges you face with young kids like fussy eating. If you haven't already had a listen, I really encourage you to listen back because there were so many amazing hints, tips and ideas. But what really pleased me as a full-time working mum is that they were so easy to introduce and there was lots of common sense there as well. This episode, we want to chat about lockdown babies. And lockdown has been probably one of the hardest things that us parents have had to unexpectedly go through. So we wanted to hear about some of the things that you're worried about and hopefully put your mind at ease where we can so they continue to venture out into the big wide world again. Yeah, and there's been some fascinating research that's just beginning to come out now about the impact of lockdown on babies and young children who were born during that period. So everything from that separation anxiety of your baby or child not wanting to leave you, to also concerns about how children play and the development of their mental health and well-being. So we're going to try and unpick some of that as we go through. I am really looking forward to this one. So with another one of your hats on, you've actually been working with some really amazing people around the impacts of lockdown. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to work with people who are looking very specifically at different ages of children and how lockdown has impacted on them. And obviously with research, it takes time for that research to happen, to be analysed and for that analysis to come out. But there is some really interesting academic research that started to come out, but also anecdotal research. So lots of surveys have been done from earlier settings, so preschools, childminders, nurseries, mm-hmm. just asking them about the children that are they're seeing now post-pandemic and whether they are similar, the same or different to the children they saw pre-pandemic. And again, the results that are coming out from that are fascinating. Yeah, I mean, most research projects are probably years in the planning and decades in the analysis, but this is something that was thrown upon the world unexpectedly. So what we're having to do now is sort of backpedal a bit and, and do our very best for children that are coming out of just unprecedented times. Yeah, and lots of the results, which I'll talk about in a second, make common sense. There won't be a yeah. surprise to anybody. Mm-hmm. But the positive aspect of it is that with child development, when children have missed out or are lacking in particular elements of their development because the pandemic stopped those from happening, mm-hmm. If we give them a diet that's rich in those things in their Mm -hmm. everyday experience, they can make up a lot of that development. So it's not a picture of doom and gloom, Mm -hmm. but it is a picture of having to change maybe our expectations as parents and as educators. So we make sure the children are having opportunities that they missed to be able to build those skills that they need. For me, there was a lot of common sense in the pandemic about what mattered and what didn't matter. Now, this was obviously all parental choice and parents making their own decisions. But my youngest during lockdown was in year five and year six. And I took the view to close homeschool because for me, what really mattered to her was that she came out as mentally healthy as possible. And actually, you know, she's not going to be 10 probably till she sits a meaningful exam that's ever going to be something that's a piece of paper she needs to hold up and say she's passed or not. So I took the view that the maths, the English, the history, the geography, all these subjects that were coming home for her to work on that she just couldn't engage with. She wasn't enjoying this sort of Zoom classroom approach. 
could wait because my view was that she would catch up and that, as I say, her happiness and her healthiness, her physicality were more important than the maths and the English to me. And I think that speaks to the uniqueness of families, doesn't it? Because I know for some children that continuation of routine and schedule and access to adults outside of the family, and we're talking about slightly older children here, yep. was really important. But then for others, the parents' mental health and well-being, they were going nuts trying to do homeschool because it's a really difficult mm-hmm. thing to be able to do. Yep. So I think, again, it's about parental choice and some of the choices that we made as parents and as adults during the pandemic were under really exceptional circumstances. Absolutely. But there are things that we now know about children's development, even interesting facts like we taught our children, especially the ones who were kind of three and above, that during the pandemic, cleanliness and hygiene were above oh everything. Oh my goodness, yeah. So we sang happy birthday, we washed our washed hands, our hands we sanitized. <laughs> exactly. But then those children are going in now into early years environments where they're being expected to play in sand, water, play dough, messy play. And what the adults are telling us in these settings is children aren't doing it. They're really reluctant to get their hands dirty. Whereas pre-pandemic, you'd get the odd one or two children that weren't that. Most children were like, if it's messy, let me at it. Let me at it, yeah. But painting, reluctance to paint, because this idea that we have literally over two years conditioned our children to be clean. Mm -hmm. And now, as settings, we have to uncondition them and say, Mm -hmm. look, dirt is all right. Even to the point where when you're outside playing in the mud, the level of kind of microbes that you pick up are really good for your uh, gut, for your kind of resistance. Mm-hmm. And we don't want sanitised children that never touch anything dirty. But nor, obviously, do we want children that are risking their health by touching things that are dangerous. Absolutely. But just unteaching that very important life lesson we taught them in the pandemic is going to be challenging. It's possible, but it's these things that you wouldn't expect you are popping up no. are beginning to pop up. Yeah, It genuinely is fascinating. So I slightly took us off on a tangent there when I was talking (laughs) about my um, older child and people tuning into this are probably most interested in the younger age group. So maybe just pick out, you know, babies, toddlers and slightly older under fives and and what their key issues were. And again, I don't think it'll be rocket science for any of you that are listening, but as a parent of a very young baby, you would normally be involved in some kind of network or baby classes or something where you're going to be meeting other parents. Or just visiting other relatives, yeah. And exactly that, going and and family and friends mm-hmm. and you'd be taking your baby along with you yep. so you are getting some really good social respite for your mental health but mm-hmm. also your baby is beginning even when they're tiny to learn about social interaction other people other environments and of course all of that stopped so you've got very young babies that got really attached to their key carer mm-hmm. which is great but then not having an opportunity to attach themselves to a secondary carer or a subsequent carer. So that might be auntie, or it might be the nursery worker that you leave them with. Absolutely. I mean, we've just had a family event, a barbecue, and we've got a new baby in our family at the moment that everybody wants a little cuddle of. And of course, that baby was happily, because she's really mellow about it, was happily being passed around and having lots of cuddles. And that will become something she is absolutely used to and absolutely comfortable with. Yes, and again, you'll find that some parents are reporting that their children are really struggling with that being taken away from the primary carer. Mm -hmm. Or even one mum that I was talking to was saying they went to a family barbecue and they'd seen everybody on Zoom, but their two-year-old 
came into this space where this, she saw them in real life and she put her hand over her head and couldn't look at them and cried because oh. it was just so overfacing. So there are issues around uh, separation anxiety that children mm-hmm. are also getting. But then what they're not doing is, or haven't had is the opportunity to learn how to play with other peers. Mm-hmm. So you get interactions with adults, but then adult and child interactions are very different from children and children interactions. Yep. So when they're now moving into, whether it be preschool or a nursery or school, mm-hmm. they're suddenly coming up against lots of other children. Yep. And what they've been really used to is ownership over their resources. So sharing is becoming more of an issue. Right. But also just... It was al- yeah, already an issue already before. Already for lots of children yeah. it was. But yeah. how do you play with somebody else when you've never practised playing with somebody else? Yeah. And the verbal cues, the non-verbal cues. Mm-hmm. But also, we know that they're at high level executive functions or things like memory... And the fact that when children are out and about in the big wide world and Mm -hmm. they're carrying out tasks or they're playing with groups of other children and they plan their play. So it's not like strategic planning, but you know how play works. (laughs) We're going to start doing this and then we do this. They haven't done any of that. So what we're finding is the children are lacking the ability to follow complex instructions. So they're able to follow one instruction and then their brain kind of stops after that and just waits for the next one instruction. But I mean, simple solutions to that are things like if your child is two, three, four, five, games where memories involved, simple things like Simon says, mm-hmm. where you are conditioning them to listen to what you're saying, to follow an instruction and yeah. making it fun. Lots and lots of repetition of that kind of game is the sort of thing that's really going to help to develop those skills that they've just not had an opportunity to develop. It's really fascinating. So what you're saying is whilst these issues are real and there's empirical evidence that it's there, there is lots of things that as long as we take our time with it and be realistic about that, I hate the word catch up because there's so much being talked yeah. about catch up as if they're, they're meant to be somewhere right now and they're yeah. not there. Where actually, if we just say this is their life experience, this is where they are now and what can we do to help move them forward? And I think the key thing is that as parents, but also in settings that they go to, so nurseries, preschools, we can't just do what we used to do in preschool pre-pandemic mm-hmm. because the children who are coming in have got all sorts of wonderful things to offer but they are definitely lacking some experiences because the pandemic took those away for all children mm-hmm. so we need to make sure that what they were lacking we give them lots of yeah, to really yeah. build on that really focus on that as extras yeah. and also the fact that your know, children are getting very used to lots of children got very used to sedentary play because mm-hmm. there's nobody else to play with but also quiet play because yeah. a lot of parents were on a zoom call Mm-hmm. So you do get children who are becoming very self-sufficient in their play. So whereas normally you'd expect to see children play on their own because they're very encapsulated in their own world and then they begin to kind of parallel play and then co-play and then collectively play. Yep. Lots of children haven't moved beyond this solo play state mm-hmm. because they just have never experience playing with other children and they don't know how to so again as adults it's about providing lots of opportunity for them to do that so whether that's play dates at home whether that's cousins or somebody down the street but also wherever they go with other children it's about giving lots of opportunity to facilitate games that mm-hmm. involve collective participation because given a choice through habit 
they will likely go and get a resource that allows them to be self-sufficient because that's how they've learned to play. Goodness. So it's a little bit of gentle persuasion mm -hmm. that we're going to play anything from the old classics of Farmers in His Den right the way through to some of the more modern games and resources that you can buy. But thinking strategically about how can we give them opportunities to interact and less opportunities in a kind of mixed environment to be kind of sedentary and solo. Fascinating. So I think if I was a parent in this situation, I'd like some real sort of practical tips of things that I can be doing. So I'm going to push on that a little bit because I think you had some brilliant ideas there, but I want more. Ooh, fair enough. <laughs> uh, you always want more. So I think it depends on the age and stage of your development. So obviously babies, toddlers, children will be slightly different. And mm -hmm. it also depends where you were in your stage of development during those kind of two years of lockdown. Yep. And some children will have had various experiences of being in settings or spaces with other children. Yeah, because some children had to carry on as normal. We were open for key workers and key workers' children were still going into nurseries. But again, the, the spaces they went into tended to be sanitised. Well, yeah, much and, quieter. And way more diluted. So yeah. again, as I said at the very beginning, it's not rocket science. It's about thinking... Although as a first-time parent, you don't know what your child's missed because you don't know True. what normal yeah. first-time children would be getting involved in. But it's thinking about those opportunities and just giving them more of that. But when you've got babies, it's about that interaction once it's safe to do so mm -hmm. with lots of different adults. So not literally passing around the bus necessarily, <laughs> but making opportunities and also they're great for you as a first-time parent or a subsequent parent just to get out there and meet somebody else and have a chat. Well, actually, we were just sharing before about the, our new baby in our family, but it wasn't just nice for baby to meet all the other relatives. It was also nice for mum just to have a few minutes. I mean, yeah. literally, I think for an hour, a good hour, um, she just got to chill, eat her dinner. All these things are, are what we've missed out on. So getting... Into the community with your baby is a really good thing. Mm -hmm. If you had children who were in lockdown and who were slightly older, so kind of coming up to kind of toddling and that early use of language, again, in terms of language use, they're likely to have experienced the language that was used within your household, whereas mm -hmm. other children pre-pandemic would have had experience of lots of language beyond the household. Yep. And again, there's some interesting research about language and television. So the fact that even though children hear a lot of language on television and children who've got a level of language that is usually fairly good will mimic language and television. And I know you've made me laugh before talking about your third child who spoke like Peppa Pig for the year. Which is like the Queen's English. She spoke really, really yeah. well for a girl that was brought up in Salford. But what we know from research is that children don't tend to learn language particularly well mm -hmm. by watching it on a screen. There's something about the personal interaction that really helps them with their learning. Yeah. So the idea that you were trying just to expose your early talkers, your early thinkers to lots of different sorts of language. Mm -hmm. And then those things that we talk a lot about in my first five years that are play-based. Yeah. So turning lots of routine things into games, but also, I know I mentioned it earlier about that idea of building up instructions, which you would do with children anyway. Can you do this 
and then do this mm -hmm. and you give them a single instruction and then when they get really good at that you then give them a single instruction with a follow-up and then a follow-up and then a follow-up to eventually they're doing quite complex things and i suppose memory games as well for the slightly old ones yeah. we used to do all sorts like that where you're lifting up things and seeing if you can get the match or the or... classic of king's kim's game where it's under the tea towel yeah. or take Lotto something away what's gone the shopping game yeah and again if you haven't got those in your house there are lots of those that are uh, online that you can look at and research and really simply make I mean Kim's game is literally things on a tray don't know why it's called Kim's game it was mm. Kim and a tea towel over the top adult takes one thing away whip off the tea towel what's, what's gone, gone. Yep. and then you can take two things away that kind of stuff but if you can make it fun yeah. then as we always are saying that's the key so Things that are really helping your child through play mm -hmm. just to begin to master some of the things that they haven't had an opportunity to experience during lockdown. And as much of that as possible are the things that are really going to get them back up to speed in those areas. And I suppose as well to be patient and gentle and, and kind with them. If things that you may expect them just to be able to turn up and do that maybe they can't at the moment. So the first time you take them to a play group and they don't behave the way you were hoping they might to be patient and kind and absolutely and if you are a first-time parent it's really hard for you to know what's usual I mean there's nothing typical about yeah. child development <laughs> but what's usual and I think partly it's to as long as you know that you are making progress yeah. and you're putting things in place to support your child's development mm -hmm. and I know it's easy for us to say but for you not to worry about what they can't do but really focus on what they can and build, and from build there. It, which is what my first five years is all about Literally what our app is all yeah. about and that it really holds your hand and takes you on that journey but as well making adaptations so we've literally got an example coming up where we're hosting a party at the house and it's a big one it's a big special birthday and I have a friend bringing a young child and she said do you mind if we come half an hour early just so that we can get our kitty in the room before everybody begins to arrive so that they're not walking into a room full of strangers and with their lockdown yeah yeah, yeah lockdown baby and I've never had a request like that before, but it absolutely makes sense. And I was like, yeah, as long as you realise that we're still going to be running around like idiots trying to get everywhere yeah. ready, but you're more than welcome and we'll probably give you some jobs to do too. Because <laughs> pre-pandemic, literally, from birth, you'd been passing that baby around your family or on a regular basis. Yeah, they'd have been going to all sorts of events yeah. over the years, but this is um, probably the second time that this kiddie has been to a big family event. And we've got two you know, big sides of both sides of the family. So we've probably got 40, 50 people in the house. And that I is a, a daunting thing for somebody to walk into that's not done that before and again we've got to think about this in terms of how children process the world is around them so as an mm -hmm. adult lockdown was terrible and then we've clicked by out of it and i'm amazed how quickly the world has gone back to pre-covid conditions but for children who've never known anything different they've got nothing to return reference to. back to yeah so this is the big scary busy noisy world yeah that they haven't been prepped for. Yep. So what we're doing is loads more of the prep. And I think, yeah. again, as adults, just realising that point, mm -hmm. and like you were saying, then if your child responds in a way that's unexpected or disconcerting because they're upset yeah. or that's fair enough, that's okay. Yep. And then having strategies as adults for, well, what can we do if that happens yep. uh, will really help with that development. Yeah. Yeah. 
So we have a listener question through about their little boy who has full-on separation anxiety and he's just trying to start nursery at the moment. He's a lockdown baby. He's just turned two. One of the things I can definitely say here as somebody that used to own a group of nurseries is that separation anxiety is nothing new. (laughs) But is it more prevalent now? And regardless of whether it's new or more prevalent, what are some great tips? So it is more prevalent now. So the research is telling us just because of that connection that children have made during lockdown. And Mm -hmm. you're right, it is nothing new. Some children have always struggled with that. And I think there has been a bit of a stiff upper lip attitude to it, which was just dump your child and run and don't worry about it, we'll sort them out. And actually, I think research again suggests that that's not the best way because when a child is in uh, in separation anxiety, mm-hmm. they have lost some of that higher executive function. They're not in a position to reason. And, and actually, it, one, 18 months to two years old, they haven't got the cognitive ability to be able to reason it yeah, out. Yeah. So it's about them needing to feel secure and know that the adult is going to come back and yep. not. If the adult just literally hands them over and we, you know what it's like, and you will know if you're listening and you've had a child that literally is clinging onto your clothes. <laughs> it's not pleasant for you. It's not pleasant for the child. But then what you do is go. Mm-hmm. And then the child then becomes anxious because you've gone and they're also in a state of high level anxiety. So in an ideal scenario, and we don't live in an ideal world, it's all about transition. So the more familiar your child can become with the space that they're going into before yep. they have to go, the better. So if you can, as a parent, arrange to do visits, and again, this is not always practical, but on times when you're not dropping off your child, so yep. that you can go even briefly, be in the space together, be happy, then come away from the space. Yep. And the child doesn't assume that every time they go, you're going to drop them off. Mm-hmm. It's really good to do a lot of role play again with very little children using toys or action figures or dolls Mm -hmm. where you are role playing the scenario of what happens. And when the teddy stays at nursery with all the lovely people at nursery and plays with their friends, this is what mummy or daddy teddy does. This is where they go and then they come back. And of course, they always come back. So, and again, that's not a do it once, fix the problem. This is will take a Repeated, lot of time. Yeah. You're talking about really conditioning children's social and emotional response, and that takes a lot of time. Yeah. Another thing that can be really successful is that in early education, we use a thing a lot with children called mini-me's, which are yes. where you basically photograph a child full length and laminate them. Obviously, the photograph. <laughs> yeah, the photograph of the child. Yeah. So you laminate Just the photograph. Just to be clear. So, and often you'll use those for play and they can, at, at home, this is a great tip for you, if you can access a laminate or some sticky back plastic, then basically take a photograph of your child, cut it out, and then just make, the only reason you laminate or make it sticky back plastic is make it hard lot, wear yeah, it. Yeah. yeah. But then they will use them in their place. So I used to do me and our extended family, so grannies, grandpas, cousins, and we got some great family play out of that. So one of the the initiatives that I've used previously when working with uh, preschools and nurseries is that a child is really struggling with separation anxiety is to mini-me some of their significant adults. So this could be mum, dad, carer, granny, whoever it is. Because actually, when you've got dad in your pocket or mum in your pocket and you're feeling a little bit anxious, being able to have a look at them and take them out and talk to somebody else, or if you've got that language, or somebody else talk to you about them, can actually be really reassuring. So a little family in your pocket when you're going into a space and transitioning into it Mm -hmm. can be a really useful thing. But transitions are difficult for adults. When you start a new job, when you go to a new place, when you're trying to find a new car park, that's difficult. Imagine you're two, 
you've had no previous experience and suddenly your whole life turns upside down because you're in a different space with different people, different resources, different expectations. No wonder it takes time for some children to transition. Yeah. Another little tip that we used to do was that we'd create a little book with pictures of the real family members in there. You know, for some of the younger children that the mini-me's were a little bit too old for them. And then we could sit and give them a cuddle and just sort of talk through the book and talk through who the characters were in the book. And they were pictures of real people that meant something to them. And for some children that helped. I think the real important takeaway from this is that it if your child is demonstrating separation anxiety, that's not unusual. It will take time, especially if it's post-pandemic. Of course, if you've ever got any concerns, always speak to a healthcare professional. But don't imagine that within a week it's going to kind of be fixed. It can take quite a long period of time. And that's not always easy. Because if you're dropping a child off because you've got to be somewhere yeah. and you can't sit and linger for an hour while your child settles, then it's about finding strategies around that. And sometimes that's about the the carer at the setting, just knowing that they're going to get lots of cuddles if you can't be there. And sometimes that is the reality that they're with adults that care about them as well. It's all about familiarity, familiarity of space, familiarity of adult. And the more familiar you can make your child with the space and the people, the easier the transition is going to be and the less the anxiety. That's really helpful. Thanks, Alistair. Now, there's another term here that's um, come through in a question. It's a term I don't like anyway, so we can maybe explore that, which is school readiness. Oh, that's a podcast on its own. It literally is. Um, But surely schools are having to reset their expectations of what to expect for a reception class child now anyway. I think for any child going either into school nursery or into reception, then as a parent, you need to be having conversations with this this setting or they should be with you around the fact that how children came in pre-pandemic is not how children are coming in post-pandemic. And through some very anecdotal research through questionnaires, 50% of settings who were questioned said that a significant number of children, and by significant they meant more than 50%, Mm -hmm. were coming into their setting with different levels of social emotional awareness, of social interaction than had been expected before. So that means you have to change what you're doing in that setting. So this whole idea of, again, school readiness, not a term that I like at all either, because I think for parents, we're often led down a route that assumes school readiness means reading, writing, sitting on the carpet for 20 minutes. And actually for me, if we're going to talk about school readiness, it's about curiosity. It's about being inquisitive. It's about resilience. It's about a passion for learning. That means you're ready to be in a school environment where you're going to get lots of learning. So I think it's important for you as parents to have that conversation with the setting that says, look, you know, my child was born in lockdown. That's not a millstone that's going to hang around its neck. They've not been cursed by being a lockdown baby, but they have undoubtedly missed some of the opportunities to develop the children would have had pre-pandemic. Mm-hmm. What are you doing as a setting to help me to fill those gaps? And what hints and tips can you give me? Yep. And they should be able to give you some. Absolutely. So Alistair, briefly recapping on the impact of children and also the longer term impact, what are your thoughts? I think we are still learning about the impact of the pandemic on children who were born or had a significant part of their early years during it. From what we know so far, I think it is that there are some positives in that, yes, children will have missed some experiences during COVID, all children who were in the pandemic will have missed those experiences. But 
They're not missed for life. They just need to have more opportunity to access those experiences now, and that will help them to build those skills. So I think important that as parents, we are asking those questions of anywhere that we are taking our children for their care, but also that we are aware of that as parents and trying to give them lots of opportunities to try and fill those gaps. Yeah. And I guess with our app, we meet children where they are and then help parents with what's next. And it's that sort of idea of meeting these children wherever they may be based on whatever experience they had and then just having strategies to build from there. Yeah, because everything we're talking about is developmental and therefore development for some children is faster in some areas than Mm -hmm. it is for others. So we can't put a time limit on it. We can't say if you do this for the next six weeks then. What we're saying is we're recognising that there are worldwide gaps in child Mm -hmm. development. We're recognising what the solutions are, Mm -hmm. and it may take some children longer than others, but there are solutions that we can put in place that really will support them with that development. Fabulous. So Alistair, could we finish by just looking at five easy hacks that will help parents and lockdown babies? Yeah, I'm not sure this is necessarily easy, but number one is parental expectations. So keep well informed as a parent, but also appreciate that development takes time. Uh, Number two, try and get your baby or child into as many social situations as you can, both with adults and with their peers. Number three, simple games around executive functions. So any memory games you can find like Lotto, Kim's Game, I Spy, Simon Says, playing those on a regular basis will really help train their brains and fill those gaps. Number four, have a shared strategy with any outside carer, whether that be preschool, nursery or school that's going to be looking after your child. And number five, through patience and a play-based approach, we can really fill a lot of those gaps that the pandemic created with children's development. That is all really good to hear. And I think as a parent, what's nicest of all is that we have gone through, I don't know, such unprecedented times. But the key message is, yes, of course, children have been through something. It is going to have an impact. But through patience and play, we're going to get there. Absolutely. Thanks for listening today and for sending in your questions as always. Get in touch if there's anything you'd like us to talk about on the podcast. You can post any questions in our Facebook community or on our Instagram. And you'll also find us at My First Five Years. That's with five written out. So we release these podcasts every fortnight. And then on the weeks in between, we explore each podcast topic in a further Instagram live. So don't forget to send us any questions that you've got. And you can also post those questions on our Facebook community or our Instagram page. You'll find us at My First Five Years, and that's with the five written out. So if you'd like to read a bit more about how children have been affected by lockdown, there are lots of articles on mffy.com, including one on the factors that can affect social and emotional development for children. Next time, our podcast is about comparanoia, that thing that we all do as parents when we compare and contrast, and we're going to talk about strategies to have a much more joyful approach. Don't forget to rate, review, and follow My First Five Years. It really helps us, and we really appreciate it. Thank you.